Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Ormo campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. Okay, I'm going to finish our new series today. We've just been talking about new things throughout January, and we've talked about new wineskins, and we've talked about new names, and we've talked about a whole bunch of things, new creation. And I'm going to wrap it up this morning talking about a new song. Now, all of us know the capacity that music has to affect us emotively, affect our mood, the, the way that we use music to mirror our mood at times. You know, when you've had a really good day, on comes the celebration music. When you've had a bad day, we put on the dirge and we just, it mirrors our mood and it affects us on a deep emotional level. I'm not going to talk a whole lot today about the effect and the psychology of music itself. I want to look more at the content of songs. But before we do, let me just remind you about the, the power of music and the power that it has on you. You might have songs that affect different seasons of your life. Like when I wake up at the crack of dawn, put on my running gear, the sun rises and the birds cackle in the distance, and I walk out and, and Ormo is still asleep. But I'm investing in my fitness. I put my earpods in my ear and I crank my kind of the music. And I'm listening to something like this. Hopefully this works. This is... Does anyone, does anyone just want to run with me now? Come on. Come on. You don't want to see me run today. It's not a good look. You know what? Eye of the Tiger by Survivor is the number one most played power song. It's the song that has been identified as the song when you're flagging in a fitness routine or when you just need some energy. It's the number one go-to song to get your energy back up. So if you want to run with me early in the morning, just let me know and I'll tell you where we can meet. And uh, we can listen to Eye of the Tiger together as we pound the streets of Ormo. You see, music has a powerful effect on us emotionally and physically. Uh, Music has a powerful effect on us because it connects us to particular seasons of life. You'll have songs that remind you of particular times. I can't listen to Candle in the Wind by Elton John without thinking about the tragic death of Princess Diana. I can't think about finishing school without having this song rolling through my head. It's like the ultimate graduation song, Good Riddance or Time of Your Life by Green Day. Does anyone else just get played at anyone else's graduation? Or is this just Dubbo in 1996? Oh, this is high tech this morning, isn't it? <laughs> well, music has the uh, power to affect us when we're feeling down and low emotively. Jimmy doesn't even know who this band is, but I like to play it every time I get the chance to teach him. But this song... Don't let go. I mean, if you're having a bad day, just turn this up in your car. Like, just turn the heat up and the tears will start flowing because there's something about... Songs like this that just affect us on a deep, emotive level. Hands up if you've heard that song before. Jimmy, just uh, just have a look around, mate. You're the music director of this church. Look how many people have heard that song. There's songs that are a call to action. And when I was growing up, this song, the minute you heard the drum beat to this song, there was something emotively that was triggered inside of you that felt like it was a call to action and still does. It's a famous drum beat. 
It's a famous guitar riff. It's a famous song of revolution that talks about the devastating effects in Northern Ireland of the Sunday, Sunday Bloody Sunday Massacre. But every time it's played, it's a call to action that we can be better, that we can do more. And there's something emotive about that song that every time I hear it, it actually stirs something up inside of me to want to be part of fixing some of the ill and some of the problems in the world. I don't know what it is, but there's something about the power of music that does that for us. You know what, if you're having a fantastic day, maybe you just want to get in your car and you want to play something like this. As for you, Ron May. Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, the Ode to Joy. There is something, I don't know about you, but even if you don't appreciate classical music, there's something, Dad started conducting already. Look at him go. But there's something emotive about music that touches us at our deepest level. What the songs that we sing, the music that we play, the words that we listen to matter. There is something about the soundtracks that we allow to become the soundtracks for our life that affect the way we face life and we embrace life. The book of the Bible that is full of songs and poems is a book known as Psalms. If you're unfamiliar with the scriptures, there's a book in the Old Testament called Psalms. And one of the things that we miss as we read the Psalms, because we have them in written form, is we miss the music that so often accompanied them. And, and we often think of, you know, people think the Psalms are all joyful songs, but there's just lots and lots of Psalms that are Psalms of lament, that are people questioning God's goodness and questioning God's reality and questioning whether God cares and talking about the really terrible and devastating things in life. And I can only imagine the soundtrack that went along with the words of those Psalms. But as we read those Psalms, they let us in to the emotion of the human experience as expressed to God. So we don't get the music that goes with them, but we get the words of the psalmist. And the Psalms are great uh, books to read. Just a, a, It's one book, but made up of like 150 different songs and poems that just speak to the deepest parts of human experience as they encounter God. Psalm 40 says this, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he turned and he heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and he gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. See, we often think of the Psalms as something that was written in one sitting, but often what happens in the Psalms is they're reflective of a journey that someone's gone through in life. And often many of the Psalms start in a place of complete disorientation. Questioning of the world, questioning of God's goodness, questioning of our place in the world, wondering whether God cares, whether God is with us, talking about some of the devastating experience that, that humanity faces. But then as you read further into the psalm, it goes through this stage where the psalmist often comes to a stage of being reoriented with the world, finding a peace within the world as they're experiencing it, finding God within the midst of their circumstances and their struggles. And Psalm 40 is one of those psalms. The psalmist starts off by telling us about his experience. He says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned and heard my cry. Like here is a man that is just crying out to God because the circumstances of life are devastating. But he goes on to say this, in the midst of my cry, God lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud, and the mire. Some of you parents are going to have a laundry field tonight with mud and mire. I saw photos from youth camp and there was mud to the extreme. 
But the psalmist talks literally about being lifted out of the mud in life and set on a firm foundation. And then he says this, he put a new song in my mouth. The psalmist has gone from singing a song of despair and devastation. He turned and he heard my cry to having a new song in his mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Psalm 40 talks to us about what it is to sing a, a new song. And this morning I want to talk to you about the new song that I reckon some of us are going to be called to sing in this coming year. And it's a new song of gratitude. You see, some would suggest that in the Hebrew Scriptures that, that what has been translated into our English Bible as a new song is actually a, just a song of thanksgiving. Yeah, he's put a new song in my mouth, or he's put a song of thanksgiving in my mouth. And so I want to talk about that song of thanksgiving or that song of gratitude. And I'm not going to talk about notes on a page or music in all of its mood and emotion, but I'm going to talk about the song that we sing through our words, our actions, our deeds, our thoughts, and our emotions. And it's a song of gratitude. The only gratitude is one of the lost spiritual disciplines for many people. So we talk about all the things that we can do in life to, to invest in ourselves and to deepen our relationship with God. I've actually found that one of the best starting points in our spiritual discipline is the discipline of gratitude. Why? Because I think it's a lost and a dying art in the world we live in. Have you noticed that when you go into the public commentary these days, it's all about telling us what's wrong with the world and what's wrong with people and what people could do better and how people have failed. And like there's not a lot of songs of thankfulness and gratitude in the world in which we live. So what is it for us as people and for us as a church to sing a new song, a song of gratitude? Let me make a few comments on that this morning. And the first is this. If you want to sing a song of gratitude in life, you've got to start from a place of humility. You see, if you're going to be thankful for something, you've got to actually understand the things that you're thankful for are gifts of grace from above, not something you've earned or deserved. The minute I feel like I have ownership over something or something that I've earned or something that is deservedly mine, I don't feel the same level of gratitude towards it because I feel like I have it because I've earned it. I want to encourage us that all of us need to start looking at life through the eyes of God's gracious gift because when we start to discover God's grace, we start to look at God and what we have from a viewpoint of humility, not from pride. See, humility says, I didn't earn it and nor do I deserve it. And so the discipline of gratitude or the song of gratitude in our life comes from a constant acknowledgement identification and recognition of the grace of God at work in us. If you go back to the early part of Scripture, there's a story of ancient Israel who had been through a man by the name of Abraham. God had come to this man Abraham and said, Abraham, I'm going to make you into a great nation and all people on earth will be blessed through you. And so then Abraham's family grew and his family now became known as the people of Israel. They ended up in slavery in Egypt. For 400 years, and after 400 years, God, through a whole bunch of miraculous circumstances, rescues an entire nation of people out of slavery with the promise that he's taking them to their own land. Now, that doesn't seem like a big deal, but in the ancient world, to have your own land, to have your own place of residence, your own home, really mattered. It actually really matters to us today. There's something about, there's a peace that comes when we find ourselves grounded 
in a place. And it was the same for a nation that was restless, that had no homeland, that was actually sitting under the tyranny of an oppressive regime in Egypt. And God takes them out and says, I'm taking you to a place that we're going to call the promised land. And the language the Bible uses about the promised land is this. It's a little bit odd to our hearing today in our culture, but God says the promised land is a land that is flowing with milk and honey. Now let's just go to ancient palace. So we're talking about the Middle East now, right? When you're walking through arid desert wasteland, the promise of a fertile agricultural place, a land flowing with milk and honey, was a good deal. What God is saying is the place that I'm going to take you to is an incredibly rich, fertile place. And so God takes his people miraculously and heads them towards this promised land, this land flowing with milk and honey. And so we get to this scene that I want to talk about this morning where they're on the edge of about to step into the promise of God, into their new land, this land flowing with milk and honey. And God says this to them through Moses, Deuteronomy 6. He says to the people, when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob to give you, a land with large flourishing cities that you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things that you did not provide, wells that you did not dig and vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. In other words, God's saying, the place I'm taking you, there is abundance, there's prosperity, there's provision, there's, there's already great cities that have been built, there's already houses filled with all the provision that you need. Everything about what you're about to inherit is incredible. He says, so when you walk into that place, remember you've been living in the desert, you've been living in oppression, now I'm going to give you something incredibly good. When you walk into that place, he says this, then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord. Who brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery? What's God saying to his people? There's something in the human heart that so easily forgets to sing the song of gratitude. You know, it's that thing where we're given something through a gracious act of God or a gracious act of someone else, but before long our heart starts to believe it was either something we earned or something we deserved, and our attention turns to something that we don't have. To really sing a song of gratitude, we have to take a place of humbly recognising God's grace to us. And I want to suggest that for some of us right now and for some of us today, the absolute challenge of the message is this, that God has blessed you with some incredible things, but your heart has actually stopped giving thanks for the gracious gift that he's given you and it's already turned to things that you don't have or things that you haven't seen realised yet. I wonder if the challenge for you is actually to stop long enough to look at what you have and to give thanks to God for the gifts that he has given you. Gratitude requires humility because it's a constant acknowledgement of God's grace to us. When was the last time you stopped long enough to acknowledge God's grace and generosity to you? you know, I, 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 we live in a world that lives with a bit of this entitled sense of the stuff we have is the stuff we deserve. And I've sat on the floor of some homes the size of this stage with families as big as mine and I can't look at them and say, you've got what you've got because you've got what you deserve. 
And I realise in the country we live in, as we talk here today on Australia Day, and we recognise some of the blessings that we have in our country, some of us have to recognise that the things that you have aren't that you are way smarter, way better, way more gifted or way more deserving than others. And so rather than craving the stuff you don't have, maybe it's time to stop and give thanks to God for the stuff you do have because there's plenty of people in our world that are just like you and me, equally as deserving, that have nothing because they were born in a different geographic postcode. Stop long enough to give thanks to God for the things that he's given you. Gratitude requires humility. Secondly, gratitude requires intentionality. I've noticed this in myself and I've noticed it in others, that we live in a culture that is slow to give praise and quick to give criticism. I had someone uh, review something online recently, uh, an organisation that I care about, and they'd written an incredibly harsh review, and for some reason I saw it, and, and I read it, and I thought, man, that is just scathing. And when you read between the lines, the thing that had happened actually wasn't that earth-shattering, but the review was scathing, and I thought, if anyone else read that, they're going to think of these people as just terrible people. Anyway, I'm reading this review, and, and I click on the link of the person that gave it, and I, I don't know how this worked. I'm not technologically savvy enough to understand where I clicked through to, but it brought up all of this person's reviews that they've ever given. And I started reading through them. And it wasn't long before I realised that the only time that this particular person ever decides to review anything is when they want to criticise it. Every review was a one-star review. There was not one positive praise laden review that this person had gone online to give. And it, it just reminded me, that I reckon we live in a world where we're really, really quick to criticise. And I, I, I find this in myself. Someone does something for me or I go and have a great experience at a restaurant or a cafe or I have great service somewhere and I think to myself, that was a good experience and I walk away and get distracted by the next thing. But man, if I'm in the same place and it's not going my way and someone's not doing their job and someone's not giving me what I need, I'm really happy to raise my voice and tell them how they're lacking in their service or the quality of the delivery of what I'm there to get. I don't know about you, maybe, maybe this is just me reflecting on this, but I see it online all the time. People that are just so quick to jump in and pull people apart and to criticise. I actually wonder if some of us just carry a, a spirit of criticism. It's our go-to mechanism. There's something in our heart that doesn't even know how to give thanks or to acknowledge, bring encouragement or thanks. There's just something in us that instantly finds the problem or the fault and just feels like everybody needs to hear our opinion on it. I just reckon we live in this world where we are driven to criticism, but we're slow to praise. Jesus has an encounter with 10 lepers one day. It's recorded for us in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 17. And it says, as he's going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. Leprosy is not a good disease to have. They stood at a distance and they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, have pity on us. They were at a distance yelling at Jesus, not because they were being rude, but because they had, been, they had lived to be told that they should never come into contact with people that didn't have leprosy. So they're not yelling at Jesus because they're being rude or disrespectful. They're yelling at Jesus because it's the only way they could communicate with someone that didn't have leprosy. Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And when he saw them, he said, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. What's that all about? You see, in, if you look at ancient 
uh, biblical law, if you had leprosy or any kind of debilitating infectious skin disease, the only way that you could be given the clean bill of health wasn't just to get a doctor's certificate, it was actually go to the priest and it was only the priest that could declare you clean. Because uh, something like leprosy wasn't just a physical disease, it was actually an isolation from people and it was actually seen as something incredibly unclean. So having the priest pronounce over you cleanliness was a really important thing. And so Jesus says, okay, they yell out, Jesus, have mercy on us. And he just says, go to the priest. In other words, go and get checked out and find out what happens. And it says, as they went to the priest, they were cleansed, back to the scripture. One of them, when he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and he thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Samaritan were like a half-caste culture that just the Jews didn't like the Samaritans. Samaritans didn't like the Jews. So the Samaritans weren't usually people that hang out with people like Jesus, but it was the Samaritan in the bunch that came back to Jesus to give him thanks. And Jesus asked, were not all 10 cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. We can only assume what happened to the other nine. I don't know, the Bible doesn't tell us, so anything we read into that is just an assumption. But my assumption is this, God did an incredible miracle in their life and they got busy telling everyone else, they got busy celebrating their healing, they got busy doing the next thing and they forgot to return to the source to give thanks for what God had done in their life. You know, to, to sing a new song of gratitude, we've got to be intentional. I want to ask you a question. Do you give praise more than criticism or do you give criticism more than you give praise? Maybe the song that God wants you to sing this year is an intentional song of gratitude and praise for others and for him. Number three, so gratitude requires humility, gratitude requires intentionality and gratitude finally requires a different perspective. Um, Chrissy and I have bookended our holidays with one of our sons breaking their arm. First week of holidays, one of them stepped on a ripstick, if you know what that is, and fell off and broke his arm. Two weeks ago, Eli fell off a skateboard and broke a bone in his wrist. And uh, I went and picked him up. It was 8 o'clock on Friday night, two Friday nights ago. I went and picked him up, drove him down to Gold Coast Emergency Ward. It was 9 o'clock on a Friday night. And when you're driving the emergency ward, there's something in you thinking, okay, I'm hoping today's the day when there's nobody else that's sick or injured or hurt. It wasn't the day. Eli got a great education in culture, like 9pm, and now he's 16, he's in the adult ward, so we're sitting in an adult emergency on a Friday night in Gold Coast Hospital, and there are all manner of illnesses and problems and issues and personalities sitting in the ward that night. And it was obvious to anybody that was there how busy they were. So the minute you're in an emergency ward and it's busy, and Eli wasn't screaming in pain, like he'd broken his wrist and he couldn't move it, but like he was okay. So... You know when that happens, like, just scream in pain. It works out better for you. But anyway, you're sitting there, and we're, we've got our number, and they were really nice, and we went and we saw them, and we got in for an X-ray, and it's now like 10.30. We've been there an hour and a half. They've given him some pain relief. They've done all these observations. They've sent him for an X-ray, and I'm thinking, man, we are moving through this queue pretty good, right? We've been here two hours now by this stage, and... I don't reckon it'll be much longer. It's 11 o'clock. Oh, I'm all good with that. I got here at nine. If I'm home by 12, 12.30, I reckon that's a pretty good 
visit to the emergency ward, don't you reckon? Anyway, two minutes after I had that thought, someone got wheeled in and they had a bone sticking out through their leg. Just It was graphic and he wasn't screaming in pain either, but there was something about the visual that the nurses decided that he needed to take priority. The same time, someone else in the emergency ward decides to start ranting over everybody else about how disgusting the wait times were in the emergency ward that night. And they went and they complained to every staff member they can find. And eventually after, in their words, we've been here for three hours and people that came after us keep getting in before us, they cracked it and left. And I just see Eli taking it all in. I said, just sit still, mate. There's more to come. And there were a few others that ranted about the failure of our healthcare system and about the, you know, slackness of staff and how come no one's treating them. And, you know, we got to see lots of it because even though the x-ray was done by 10.30, we didn't leave the hospital till 4 a.m. It was a long seven and a half hour sit in the emergency ward at Gold Coast Hospital. And we probably only had about 30 minutes of intentional staff time in all of that. I mean, I reckon we've got to fix our health. No. No, no, no. You're all worried now, aren't you? I'm driving home with Eli and I said to him, mate, that was a long night. I see the only amazing thing, though. We got to go to a healthcare system where you got treated, you got fixed, you got diagnosed, you got cared for, you got a follow-up plan, you got a cast on your arm, and we didn't get charged a cent. And I know it's 4.30 in the morning and we're lying in bed and we really wish that we got out of there at half past 12 at night. And I know you saw everybody else ranting and raving about how much they had to wait, but why don't we just stop for a minute and take stock of what's just happened for us? Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes gratitude comes from perspective. Because there's some places in the world where it really sucks to be sick and break your arm. Gold Coast, Queensland isn't one of them. You might have to sit for a while. You might have to wait for a while. You might have, Chrissy had to do the follow-up appointment. She was there for four hours the other day trying to entertain other young children in the midst of it. There's nothing fun about that. But gratitude is all about perspective. And sometimes we just need a brand new perspective about what we have because we can spend our whole life looking at the stuff that's not working for us or what other people have got or what's working out for them that we take no time to actually look around, take stock of what we do have and give thanks to God for the blessings that we carry in life. You see, gratitude is about perspective. Our culture creates a sense of entitlement. Sometimes we just need to turn around. You know, some days some of us don't love being in a school hall and, you know, there's a lot of stuff that goes with being in a school hall and setting up a church. We've been doing this for eight years and we talk about it a lot. Well, you know what? 12 months ago, I got to go sit in a church in Cambodia that was a little concrete box. There weren't enough seats for the people that wanted to be there. There was one fan. There was a simple sound system and there was power that they weren't sure was going to be on what Sundays and not because they had no control over the quality or the consistency of their power supply. But people filled that place, filled with hearts of joy, wanting to praise Jesus and thank him for the blessings they have in life. You see, sometimes the only thing that needs to change for us is our perspective. All of us just want to see our circumstances change because we think if our circumstances change, then we'll be happy. No, no, no. You don't need a circumstance change. You need a perspective change. It's time to turn around and look at what you have. And here today in this country, we celebrate 
the simplest of things that we take for granted. The water bottle that we filled from our tap this morning, the hot water in the shower, the education that all of our kids can easily access starting this week, the food that we put on our table. They're all things that we take for granted, but occasionally we just need to stop and give thanks and be grateful for the simplest of things because gratitude is all about the perspective that we take. If you know that you've got a heart attitude and you're constantly worrying about the things that other people have got that you don't have, I'd love to talk to you. Sav, I'd like to, if someone here would love to talk to you about what it would be like to jump on one of our short-term mission teams and go and sit on the floor with some people that have nothing but have hearts filled with joy because it'll do something in your spirit that'll change your gratitude. Glenn, I'm going to get you to join me. See, gratitude is a discipline that begins to change our inner dialogue. Some of us have no discipline or habit of uttering words of thanks or gratitude. You know, Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, he says, there's a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And if your mouth speaks criticism or your mouth speaks you know, the things that I don't have or your mouth is constantly bemoaning the life that you have, your mouth's constantly talking about, I wish I had, I wish I had, I wish this had changed, I wish my circumstances looked different. Man, your words just talk about something that's happening in here. And I reckon God wants to do something about what's happening in here. You know, I actually think a discipline of speaking words, not convincing ourselves, but speaking the words actually starts to transform the heart as well. Because when we choose a discipline of gratitude, it forces us to turn around and start to take stock of what we have and give thanks for the things that we do have. And so I'm gonna spend our whole life focusing on this side of the ledger. And if we're gonna do that, I guarantee something will change and you'll feel like you move one step further up that ladder, but there'll always be something else. It's not working out or a relationship that's not perfect or someone that's let you down or you know, something the church did or something you don't have or the car that your brother got that you didn't get and you know, the pay rise someone else got and you missed out on it. You'll always find something to be cranky about and to criticise. But if you turn this way, I'd tell you what, that's a better place to live. Because when gratitude becomes the words of your mouth, when gratitude takes stock of your heart, I tell you there's greater freedom in gratitude than there is in criticism or in constantly complaining. And so here's my challenge for you in a new year. What does the discipline of gratitude look like in your world and in your day? Find a simple way to do it. Find a simple place, a simple time to take stock of what you have and just to start by thanking God. You know, I've made it a discipline now in any corporate prayer space that I'm involved in that we start by thanking God for who He is, not telling Him the things that we want, but just telling Him what we like about Him. Because there's something that happens in our heart when we start there. Suddenly the things that we think we need start to dissolve a little bit because we start to get a perspective of how good God actually is. So here's the challenge for you. The last new challenge for 2020. After this, we just get in the rhythm, right? Find a time every day to stop and to give thanks. Really simple place. Many families do it is when they sit down for a meal together. Even if you don't sit down with others for a meal, when you sit down for a meal, why don't you take stock and just look at what you're about to put in your body and say, God, I'm just grateful that today I have food to feed me and to nourish me. 
So grateful tonight that I have a bed to sleep in, that I have a roof over my head, that we used to live in a country that provides so many great benefits, that I get to be part of a great church, that I get to be part of a church where my kids can go on a youth camp and have a whole bunch of others speak into their life spiritually, find the place of gratitude and go there regularly. Why don't we just finish the service today by giving thanks to God for what we have. I'm going to pray, but what I'd love to do before I do that is just to give you 30 seconds where you sit just to call to mind some things this morning that you're grateful for. And maybe you walked in here today and your heart's just full of, your head's just full of all the things that are going wrong and all the things that aren't working out and all the things that are annoying you and the things that you want to criticise. Well, just here's, here's a chance for reset. Just let your head, your heart be filled with things that you just want to give thanks for this morning. Why don't you just take 30 seconds where you speak just in your mind, your heart just to start giving thanks to God for the things that He's gifted through His grace into your life. I want to give you thanks today. Thanks for this day. Another day that you've given every single one of us to breathe the air that you've given us, to experience the beauty of the creation you've allowed us to live within. Another day to be thankful for those around us. God, thank you for the gift you've given me of my beautiful wife and my, my family. Thank you for the community that I get to be a part of. Thank you, Jesus, for the church that I get to be part of, for for the people here today that I get to do life with, that make me better, that sharpen me, that encourage me, that challenge me, that help me to serve and to follow you. God, I just want to say thanks for this church, the personal blessing that it is to me. God, thanks for those that serve. Thanks for the leaders right now that have given up their time this weekend to go and speak into my kids' life. God, I'm really grateful for that. Thank you for the chance we've got in a couple of minutes to go and make a coffee and have a biscuit and spend some time just enjoying each other, God. It's just a gift that you've given us. Thanks for the rain that's fallen on this dry and parched land in recent weeks. May more of it come, Lord. Thank you for this nation that you've placed us in. God, there's a lot of pain, there's a lot of hurt in this nation, but God, we've been so blessed with the abundance that this land brings. God, with the freedom and the security that we get to live in every day. Thank you, God, for those that are going to teach our kids this year that they can help our kids grow and have every opportunity in life because of the great education systems that we have. Thanks for those that care for us medically, those that feed into us spiritually, those that help us relationally. God's got so much to be grateful for. Thank you, God, for every good and gracious gift that you give us. God, I want to pray this morning for any of us that have an issue with a heart that's full of criticism or a heart that's constantly full of turmoil or a heart that's constantly full of what's not right or what we don't have or a sense of being ripped off. God, I want to pray that you just start to bring life into a heart of gratitude and thanks. God, I also thank you today for the gift of your son, Jesus 
whose life, whose death, whose resurrection gives all of us the chance to have a fresh and a new beginning, to have our sins covered, to be forgiven for the dumb choices that we've made and to have a fresh start in you. Thank you for your gift of hope, for your gift of life and for your promise of eternity. We praise you this morning, Jesus, in your name. Amen. We hope you've been blessed by this message. We are a growing family and we'd love to see you at one of our Sunday services because everyone who comes through our doors is welcome. You can find out more about our community and locations at gatewaybaptist.com.au.